0: It's time now to turn to the Word of our God. So if you would, open with me to Job, the Old Testament book of Job, chapter one. I want to read verses six through 12. Job chapter one, verses six through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face and the lord said to satan behold all that he has is in your hand only against him do not stretch out your hand so satan went out from the presence of the lord brothers and sisters this is the word of our god and i like to pray and ask for him to bless us as we open it together father Here we are, Lord. We we present ourselves to you as your children. Father, thank you that you in your mercy and grace have found a way to make children of your enemies. So, Father, as we have lifted up our voices in praise to you because you are worthy, now, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to feed us with your word. Father, would you please break the bread of life? To us in the name of your dear son Jesus we say and pray amen well this exchange between God and Satan is very sobering this scene in heaven after his encounter with God Satan goes out and with a fearsome hand he robs Job he strikes him and and robs him of all of his wealth and even some of his most precious possessions on earth, his children, all ten of his children. The book of Job, the story of Job, confronts us right away with some very challenging questions, doesn't it? What is God's character truly like? Can this God be trusted how could a good God allow suffering like this right away we're presented with what has been called the problem of evil and here's what this objection to the existence of God goes like because of the massive amount of suffering that we see all around the world God either doesn't exist or if he exists He's not worthy of love and worship. And this is the reasoning. If God is all powerful and all good, then we would presume, right? There's a presumption that God wouldn't allow people he's created to suffer, especially not like this, right? So they reasoned that because suffering exists, God either must not be all powerful or he must not be good. So today, we're going to look at the problem of evil from two aspects. Number one, I want to look at it biblically, and then number two, I want to look at it personally. So number one, let's look at the problem of evil biblically. As Christians, we are people of the world, of the Word, (laughs) not of the world. No, we're supposed to not be people of the world, but we are people of the word. We believe that the true and living God who created everything has revealed himself to us through his scriptures. The 66 books of the Bible that we hold in our hands is God's revelation of himself to us. And because they come from him, we receive them and we accept them as the foundational and ultimate source of truth. Now here's what you see a lot of people doing. Tell me if I'm wrong. A lot of people, even some people who profess to be Christians, they do not hold the word of God to be their standard of truth. What they really hold as their standard of truth is their own selves. For them, truth is in the eye of the beholder. Our culture, and even to a degree, we have been swallowed whole by the philosophy of postmodernism. Postmodernism, I know it's a big word, but it, it, it's all around us. It's not going to be hard for us to see it. It's the concept or the philosophy which denies that there is such a thing as knowable reality or absolute truth. And therefore, what comes along with this way of thinking is that that language, words are incapable of relating meaning or relating truth. And what this leads to is skepticism about everything. The highest virtue in our culture is to question and doubt Everything. Uh, one of the, these mantras that you hear that come along with postmodernism is this new thing. You hear it all the time. I heard it not too long ago on America's Got Talent. Um, people will talk about your truth, your truth, not the truth, but your truth, because truth can be different for you. Truth can mean one thing for you and one thing for you and another for you. All together. Philosophically, Christianity says that God is the standard of all reality and truth because He created all things. In Christianity, we hold to Jesus' view of Scripture jesus taught that the scriptures are the word of god and in john 17 verse 17 jesus said to the father your word is truth so when we come to the problem of evil which i admit this is this is a difficult bear to wrestle with i don't want to pretend like it's not when we come to the problem of evil if we want to have an accurate perspective of reality we we need we want to understand God's perspective of it. So, we're starting in a very good place in the book of Job. And and the reason this is so helpful is because, I mean, even in this this first and second chapter of Job, we get a, a front row seat, both to the behind the scenes goings on in the divine council of heaven at God's throne. And we get this front row seat. In the deep, agonizing sufferings of Job. The first thing that we need to see in Job, and of course we see this in all of Scriptures, is God's absolute sovereignty over all things. God's sovereignty, once you understand the biblical teaching on it, is one of the most comforting and re assuring teachings in all of the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said it is the pillow upon which you and I can lay our heads. What is the sovereignty of God? Simply, (laughs) to put it very simply, the teaching of God's sovereignty is that God is on his throne and he is ruling over everything in the universe. From the greatest movement of universes and galaxies and planets throughout all of outer space down to the smallest cells or atoms that make up our bodies nothing happens apart from the authority and influence of God nothing happens nothing happens Uh, for some of you I realize you're going to, you're, it's going to be hard to swallow that you gonna be like really is this really true nothing happens apart from god's plan psalm 115 verse 3 our god is in the heavens he does all that he pleases daniel 4 verse 35 he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Ephesians 1.11 says, according to, listen to this, according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Now, I wanna take a step back. Now, I I think those passages speak for themselves and maybe you don't, but I I, I think there's a a minimalist way of establishing that God has control of all things that you may find helpful. And I I think it's more than this, but if, if I'm talking to someone who's struggling to grasp this, I might start here as a starting point, okay? So if, you agree, which I don't run across many professing Christians who disagree with this. If you agree that God has perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, and future, right? And if you believe that God has the power, he has the ability either to prevent any of those things from happening or ensuring that they do, then we can come away from that saying that nothing in the universe happens apart from God. Nothing happens apart from His plan. God has a purpose for everything that He either causes or allows. Now let's just look at Job's case here. Did you notice who mentioned who brought up Job's name first? God. God brought him up first knowing everything that would follow right so God brings him up and notice that Satan by his own admission could not do one single thing to job without God's permission he couldn't touch him without God's permission permission all of us including Satan have free will in some sense, but there are boundaries over which we cannot pass. You cannot, now, we can talk about having free will in some sense, but brothers and sisters, it's just completely logically incongruent to say that we ha- ultimately have self-determining free will. There are boundaries uh, beyond which God controls things, like here with Satan, right? Uh, look at, um. Look at what it says here in verse 12. God says to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Satan couldn't even touch God before God allowed it. And even then, once God gave the permission, God set the boundaries. You can go this far, but no further. Now, one thing I'd just like to point out here In a world full of suffering that is due to sin, we we tend to be shocked that God allows horrible things. But maybe instead, we should be surprised that God allows or causes so much good. The biblical perspective is that God is actually restricting or preventing a massive amount of evil from occurring every moment of every day. Imagine if Satan had no restraints, how much different our world would be, how much more. See, we don't think about it. Like we, we see something bad happen and we're like, how could God let that happen? Well, in a world with sin, it, what, what the amazing thing is, is that God's preserved any sort of hope, any type of mercy, any type of grace. Here in the story of Job, what we see is the transcendent wisdom of God. Now, by transcendent wisdom, what I mean is that it's, it's wisdom that, that's far above, it far exceeds the, the capabilities of human wisdom and understanding. Take a look at this. Satan wagers that Job will curse God, but in the wisdom of God, what did Satan's attack against Job actually lead Job to do? Worship. (laughs) Did you see God in his wisdom and power and grace? Even in his agony, in verse 21, Job cries out, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Finish it with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to hear what our forefathers summary of the biblical doctrine of the sovereignty of God was. This comes from the London the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which says, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Okay, if it comes to pass, it's because God has decreed it. That's what they've said so far. Yet, so as thereby, even by God's decree, God is neither the author of sin, so even though God has decreed all things to happen, even sinful things, sin is not something that comes from His own nature or character, nor is I, I know this is written a long time ago, but there, and there's a lot of phrases here. But this is so rich. Nor is violence offered to the will of the creature. God hasn't completely removed free will in all this. Nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. Now, let me give you a summary of what our forefathers were saying that the Bible teaches. They were saying that God is on his throne and that everything is going, in one sense, is going perfectly according to his plan. That's, a, that's not even scratching the surface of the problem of evil biblically. I'd like now to look at it, number two, personally, okay? You know, it's one thing uh, to say that God is in control of all things. It's one thing to show that from the Bible, but it's another thing altogether to be okay with that. Can I get an amen? It's one thing to say, yeah, okay, God's in charge of everything, but it's another thing to say, it's something else to say, it is well with my soul. That's not always as simple or as easy. You know, let me put this, let me put it to the, to you this way let's say one of your closest friends could have prevented it but instead they allowed someone to rob from you everything you had and murdered your children would you trust that friend would you love that i mean would you have feelings of love for that friend well okay so then why should we love and trust god if he allows things like that to happen to Job, or he allows the suffering that he allows in our lives. I wanna start with the answer. I wanna give you the answer up front and then we'll work through it a little bit, all right? The answer to that question is that the infinitely wise and holy God will only allow into the lives of his people that which ultimately he will work for our good and his glory. Okay, that's the answer. And it's a bit of a textbook answer. But I mean, I want us to connect this personally. So let's work through this a little bit, right? I mean, first of all, it, you know, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, Romans eight twenty-eight. This is biblical. It's not pie in the sky. It's not trying to like, it's not trying to, you know, when we say that, when we say God will only allow in the lives of his people that which will work for their good, we're not just trying to put a good spin, you know, all the fake news and the spin. We, we're not just trying to put it like a PR spin on God. We're not, he doesn't need a PR firm, right? This is biblical. Romans 8:28 says, we know, not we hope, but we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now this week, I heard a pastor give an example that was very helpful to me. Maybe you will find this to be helpful. So let's just say you've got a friend and you're suddenly, like out of the clear blue, your friend points a gun at you. And he, he starts screaming, I'm about to shoot you, and you look, and there is rage and fury in his eyes, and you're confused, and next thing you know, your friend pulls the trigger. And as you start checking yourself for holes, you realize that your friend actually shot a person behind you, it was heading towards you with an axe about to attack you now I know that's a limited example but here's what it does help us to do in understanding our own suffering you know in the moment of our suffering you and I have to understand that we have a very limited perspective we can we can only see what's right in front of us right We, we can't see and we can't know everything that God knows Right, we, we have no way of knowing w- what all of God's purposes are in that moment when we're going, even if it's as horrible as what Job was going, Job had, Job had no knowledge of the interaction between God and Satan, even at the end of the, the whole thing. And Job is pretty neat, I think it's in chapter 19, he says, oh, that my words were engraven in a rock forever. Well, lo and behold, they essentially have been job had no knowledge that the sufferings that he went through would be a blessing and an encouragement and help millions throughout the centuries know and trust their god when we're suffering we have a very limited perspective and and here's the deal we 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 transfer sometimes our limitations onto God. And because I can't get it all figured out, well, that must mean God's not able to figure it out. Well, that's just not true. God's, God's not like us. He doesn't possess the same limitations that we do. Now, here's one problem that you and I struggle with, right? And that's the difference between our definition of good and God's right? You know, we think, you know what I want? You know what we typically want? We think our highest good is to be happy now. God is not after our happiness now. God is in it in your life for your eternal happiness. You know, I mean, honestly, every once in a while, I'm gonna give you an example. Every once in a while, I mean, I'd go for weeks and months of working hard and busy, 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 aren't you just busy? And I mean, and I don't get to do this often, but every so often I'll say, man, I'm just gonna lay on the couch today and do nothing and eat junk food right and what and what what you know what in the moment like initially that feels good that produces momentary happiness like just being a slug and eating <laughs> eating twinkies but i mean even like am i wrong am i wrong do that for one day i mean even a few hours of that you start feeling this is i don't i don't i'm really i feel kind of cruddy you go on um, making yourself feel happy in the moment that way and, and weeks and months, it's going to do terrible things. If you're not getting the proper exercise and health, it's gonna be te- you're going to feel terrible. And weeks and months and years of doing that, you're going to ruin your health, right? Even with our children, we are wise enough to understand that whatever makes them feel happy at the moment may... if with children almost never is what's best for them, right? And sometimes we purposefully will make our children endure difficult things, even even painful things, because we understand that enduring something painful right now, like a spanking, may prevent them from experiencing a lifetime of pain, Right? right? The goal of life is not an instant gratification type of happiness. The goal of life is the everlasting happiness that comes from knowing and worshiping our God. And suffering has a way, suffering just does. You talk to Christians about this. Suffering has a way of helping us know God and go deeper with God than we ever could if every day was all sunny and pleasant. Even Job, you remember how at the end of the book, he's gonna come down and he's gonna say, after he, after he endures this suffering, after he experiences God, he's gonna say, before I had heard of you by my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. His suffering led him to deeper personal experience and knowledge of God. Suffering has a way of teaching us things that nothing else could teach us. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. Psalm 119, verse 71, listen to this. It, it is good for me that I was afflicted. See, that, that's, the, that's the thing. You know, in the middle of suffering, it's kind of hard to say this because you just feel the pain. It's just the, it's just the pain doing its work, but it, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes after the fact. It, see it's never during it's after the fact when our our sufferings our trials begin to make sense. Suffering has a, a really a, really a beautiful way. Yes painfully beautiful way of testing and purifying our faith. We were talking this morning in the discipleship group about how none of our faith's perfect. But you know, suffering is God's refining fire that has this odd way of strengthening and purifying our faith. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven in this, in this you rejoice, though, now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Right, you could say this about Job. Verse seven, so that you've been grieved by these various trials, why? Right, 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 why? Okay, Satan's trying to make you curse God. God's gonna turn it for good so that you wind up worship, worshiping. You've been, uh, you've been grieved by these various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the same thing Job is going to say in Job chapter 23, verse 10. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That was a spark of faith. That Job had in the deepest, darkest moments of his life. Another thing to keep in perspective about suffering is that it's temporary. For the child of God, suffering is real. There's no way to romanticize it. You, you're never going to like come across a, You're never going to come across a memory verse that makes suffering pleasant. Or oh boy, I get to suffer. Well, yay! This is great. No, 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 no. It's not the way it works, but we take the Word of God. We digest the Word of God. We permeate our lives with the truths, the foundational principles, the promises of the Word of God, and, and we base our lives on the truth of God, not our feelings. One of the foundational truths of God is that all suffering for the Christian is temporary. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Job, Job, the sufferings that you're going through, I know they're terrible, but you add the weight of all of them together, it's, it's nothing compared to the glory that you're gonna experience with God forever. I was thinking about this before, and I've done this. I'm 47, and so my eyes aren't great, and even these glasses are a little bit out of focus, but I can still see the little dots on these ceiling piles. Find you a dot. Find one dot. Just find you one, all right? Now, you, you consider, like, for you, the worst possible scenario of suffering in your life. Worst possible case. And multiply that times 100, all right? Unimaginable suffering in your life. If you're a Christian, that suffering could be like one of those little bitty specks. And all of the rest of the little specks and all the other ceiling tiles in this room are the the joys and the glories that await you as a child of God. I mean... I love that little thing. We don't do it as much as we did when I, we just sang hymns growing up in church, but that little line, we always tagged this onto the end of Amazing Grace because it wasn't printed in our songbook. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I mean, let's say you, let's say you live a 90 years of intense suffering, one of those specks, but then you have all of the rest of these joys and pleasures forevermore with Christ. You, at 10,000 years, those 90 years are not gonna, you're gonna look back at those 90 years and say, wow, I can't believe how awesome my God is that he is able to take those horrible things I endured, and somehow He took those things and He's created me a greater capacity to enjoy Him for eternity. Maybe we should stop to think about the way God uses the suffering in our lives to bless and strengthen the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. If you walk together for very long with a community of believers, what you're going to realize, you know, as this family goes through struggles, as this family, go, as I go through struggles, and we have this mutual, um, we we I, I not only have this experience of I walk through trials, through them I come out the other side of them. I have a deeper appreciation and understanding of God's faithfulness, but we since we're so closely connected to each other because we're a family and, and we're rejoicing when we rejoice and we weep with each other when we weep. And I, I get to see God's faithfulness in my brothers and sisters. God has this strange way of, when you're walking through a trial, even in the moments when you're in pain, but, but God, God holds you together. Your faith doesn't collapse and people look at you and say, Man, I, don't, I don't know how he's doing, this. miraculous. God must be holding on to that person. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affl- affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Maybe one of God's million purposes for allowing you to go through this horrible situation is so that through the rest of your life you will be able to be a blessing and encouragement and you will be able to strengthen countless other people when they suffer. You know, at the end of the day, I realize, and I'm not here to pretend, uh, men and women far smarter than me, have tried to wrestle with this problem of evil. And I recognize that, that I'm not able, and we're not gonna be able to ever fully solve and answer all the questions that we have, but, but and we can do this. We can be reminded that you and I are always working from a limited perspective, but God is not and he's got the whole world in his hands. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller says this. It almost sounds like a riddle at first, but when you think about it, this is powerful. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. That's a poignant way of saying if we could see everything from God's perspective, our sufferings would make perfect sense now. But if our sufferings made perfect sense now, we wouldn't have to walk by faith, would we? Let me give you one more quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Friends, we may not be able to ever fully understand God's purposes for our suffering, but can we not trust the heart of our Savior, who out of sheer love for us, entered into the depths of our suffering, made himself vulnerable, and, and took the problem of evil head on and defeated it at the cross. So that one day, you and I would no longer experience suffering or evil. only eternal bliss with him. Father, it feels um, exactly like we've been taken out over the deepest part of the ocean and we can see down a little ways, but it's it's just impossible for us to fathom fully. Your wisdom your glory, and your goodness. Father, I know here in our little church family that, that many of us have been through, even in recent days, some, some excruciating and very difficult times. Father, you know that the same sun that hardens clay melts butter, and I pray here in our church family that our sufferings would not harden our hearts to you, but soften them, and Lord, that you would teach us things that you need to teach us, Lord, strengthen and purify our faith, Lord, purify us of remaining sin, draw us deeper into dependence upon you, and use us as a blessing to others, we pray. I pray that in in all things, Lord, Father, I think sometimes one of the greatest things we can suffer is not filling your presence with us. Father, I plead with you for myself and our church family that you would grant to us the smile of your face. Lord, if you call us to walk through valleys of the shadow of death, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would make your presence known to us. We do love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.